What do a pagan Israelite, a Levite priest for hire, and a cowardly tribe have in common? Rebellion. On The Bible Brief. Today is review day on The Bible Brief. If you haven't left us a five-star review on your podcast player, will you do that today? Reviews are a key way that new people find out about the show. One of the greatest mistakes that we can make is to assume that God's blessing is attached to ritual. If I go to church, God will bless me. If I read my Bible in the morning, God's obligated to give me a good day. If I say a prayer and really mean it, God must answer it with a yes. Rituals can be of great benefit to us as we seek to honor God, learn the Bible, and converse with God in prayer. But rituals at best point to something else. Going to church points to the fact that God made us for intimate community with other believers. Reading the Bible each morning points to the fact that we can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Prayer points to our total dependence upon God in every good and bad moment in our lives. Many people make the mistake of thinking that ritual makes a Christian. And once a Christian, God is obligated to bless you. This mistake is not only wrong, it's deadly. Because ritual doesn't make a Christian. A living faith does. A living faith may do the same rituals, but those same rituals are imbued with life and meaning rather than emptiness. In faith, the rituals have a vitality that causes fruitfulness through the ritual. In faith, Ritual is not a means to blessing, but a means to draw near to God. And it just so happens that when we draw near to God, we find the blessing that we didn't even know to search for. The blessing of contentment, peace, and joy. Blessings that faithless ritual can't even comprehend. In the era of the judges, Israel has degraded. They had gone from slaves in Egypt to triumph in the land of Canaan, Yet after the initial rest in the land following that initial conquest, they begin to rebel against God and His commands. In this era, we've seen judge after judge in a continuing cycle. The people rebel. God gives them into the hand of their enemies. The people cry out to God in their distress. And finally, God has compassion on them by raising up a deliverer to save them from their distress. This cycle continues for about 300 years. 300 years when the people could be experiencing the blessing of God through faithful obedience. And yet 300 years full of distress and degradation. Parents didn't teach their children all that God had said. The leaders God raised up rebelled themselves. And the culture in Israel, these people who had been saved by their God Yahweh, became a culture who forgot that they had made a covenant with Him. They forgot that the law that God gave through Moses was binding upon them, and that every generation who rebelled risked God's great judgmental curse. They might just be the generation to be cursed and cast from the land for their great rebellion. This forgetting in Israel meant a perversion of the laws and rituals commanded by God and His law. Rather than attempt faithful adherence to the laws, Israel began to slip into the ritualistic mistake. They began to think that just because they followed a ritual or a specific command, that God would bless them. 
they divorced faithfulness to God from the commands in the law. And in this, they stray even further from him. They swear by Yahweh's name. They recognize the priesthood of the Levites. And they have at least some sense of morality. But on the inside, their hearts are far from the God of whom they speak. We get a taste of this in Judges chapter 17. A chapter that begins in an unknown time period within the Judges era. A time period not revealed until the very end of the story. There was a man in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by Yahweh. And he restored the eleven hundred pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to Yahweh from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now therefore I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took two hundred pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In this account, we're quickly introduced to Micah, a man of the hill country of the tribe of Ephraim, a man who steals from his mother, who isn't much of a better character herself. With her great sum of money, she hires a silversmith to make an idol, which is then placed in a shrine among other household gods. Micah then hires one of his sons to be a priest over his home shrine that he's made. Everything we've heard so far should just shock our senses. The number of God's commandments that have been violated is staggering. But note that these are told to us for a reason. And this reason is a refrain that's repeated through the rest of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Rather than following God's commands, the people are just doing what they want when they want. They are Israelites dishonoring their parents, making idols, worshiping false gods, ordaining their own priests. Yet in all this, Micah's mother keeps saying the name of Yahweh. It's as if she thinks saying Yahweh's name wards off the curses that this behavior deserves. Ritual is replacing obedience. But it gets worse. Next we read this. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. A new person enters the story of Micah, and we find that this new young man is a Levite traveling within the land, looking for a place to settle for a while. And he just happens upon Micah's house before he's presented quite an opportunity. Micah effectively says, You've found your place to settle. 
Stay with me and I'll pay you, I'll feed you, and I'll clothe you, and you'll be my own personal priest. Now, since you and I know that there's no such thing as personal priests in the law that God gave the nation, we can rest assured that this Levite is going to tell Micah that Yahweh will judge him for his wicked behavior and that he should never make such an offer. Well, we should be assured. But these aren't good days in Israel. These are days when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Next we read, And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to Micah like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that Yahweh will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. Apparently he knows enough of the law of Moses to know that a priest needed to be from the tribe of Levi. And so he figured he'd seize this opportunity to get a Levite for himself. So now he's set up his own personal shrine with lots of household gods and idols. And to top it off, he has a Levite to represent him as a priest. A Levite, who in the story so far, remains nameless. Who is this priest who so flagrantly violates the law? Now we might hope that Micah is just some random guy in Israel with a random Levite in his house. We might think that this is just some perversion and some backwater in Israel that no one has ever heard of. But the disobedience in Israel is to a much greater extent. Soon we find out that a whole tribe in Israel is planning to abandon the land allotted to them by Joshua in favor of a city that will be much easier to conquer. We read this from Joshua chapter 18. In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtael, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And the five men came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. So the tribe of Dan has abandoned conquering their own allotted territory in favor of some other place within the land of Canaan. And so they send out some spies in an attempt to find this new place for the tribe to settle. And where do these spies lodge? But the house of Micah, which is where the plot thickens. When they were there by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What's your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of Yahweh. These five spies from the tribe of Dan recognized this young Levite. And rather than rebuke him for his deal with Micah, they simply ask him to ask God if they will succeed in their spy mission. The priest then presumptively says that God will watch over them in their mission, and the men go on their way. Soon they come to a city called Laish, a rich city, well supplied without any potentially supporting armed forces nearby. The spies like what they see, and they soon return to the rest of the tribe to encourage conquest of the city. 
So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. Then they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. The five spies have turned into a 600-man force that's trekked to the house of Micah on their way to the city of Laish. And, well, they like what Micah has collected in his household, especially the priest. And so we read that they went into the house of Micah and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image. And the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. This Levite knows no shame. He's been paid and cared for by Micah, and now he betrays him in a moment so that he can have an apparently more prominent job as priest over the tribe of Dan. He has no shame, and the text even says that his heart was glad. Micah, for his part, attempts to chase down these men from Dan, but upon catching up to this force of 600, realizes that his household is no match for them. Micah decides to let his false gods go along with his personal priest. It's here where the story comes to a swift and shocking conclusion. We've seen the total disregard for God's law among the people. We've seen the awful conduct of the Levite. We've seen the disobedience of the tribe of Dan. But here at the city of Laish, we get the reveal. Who is this priest? The people of Dan took what Micah had made, and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword, and burned the city with fire. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan their ancestor, one of the sons of Israel. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. The identity of this priest is one of the greatest shocks in the whole book of Judges because his identity reveals something about Israel and about the time frame of this story. We might assume that because the story falls after Samson's in the book of Judges, that this occurs hundreds of years after Israel had initially conquered Canaan. But no. What we find out is that all this corruption, all this disobedience, was occurring within two generations of entering the land. The degradation of Israel wasn't on a soft downward slope. It was in free fall as soon as Joshua's generation died. God's people had turned their backs on him all the way up to the grandson of the great prophet Moses. If a great priest like that had turned away from God, was there anyone who was faithful? Join us next time as we conclude the book of Judges. Tribal drama escalates and a war breaks out before one tribe comes to the verge of extinction. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. 
Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.